Welcome to another episode of Horrorversary. If you've never listened to this show before or you're listening to the hundredth time, thank you so much. This is a show that is very simply put, a podcast that celebrates horror movies that are celebrating anniversaries. Now, we don't go for those weird nebulous bits where people are like, oh, it's 12 years. We have to see how this movie's doing. It's been 32 and a half years. We have to watch this movie and celebrate it. No, no, we're looking at the tried and true big milestones of 10, 20, 30, 40, all the way back. Because regardless of what year you're looking at, there's a horror film that deserves to be raised up. And something, you know, sometimes it's a film that everybody knows along the lines of The Thing. Or maybe it's a smaller film that's kind of fallen through the cracks and people are rising up and saying, hey, you need to pay attention to this one because it's been 30 years and we really need to champion it. Now, we've been putting out these episodes at a steady clip and I thank you guys all for for listening in and enjoying it. It's really meant a lot and it's been one of the things that's really helped me, you know, stay focused is because watching these films through this prism of, you know, do they deserve this reverence that we have for it? What is it that makes these films special is, is a lot of fun because you might sit back and just watch a movie for the hell of it, which is totally fine. But there's other times that you watch it and you're like, wow, this movie definitely stands out for that period of time. And I think that's really true of the movie that we're going to be discussing on this episode, Ginger Snaps. Now, some of you are probably going to cause, you know, you know, problems and just say, I, I cry foul for this because... It, it, everywhere you look, it's listed as 2000. And this is a film that definitely did have its beginnings at several different film festivals. But within that, it did show that it was released on video in Australia in 2000. And while it may not have actually hit cinemas in Canada or home video in the U.S. till after that, I'm going with the international one. Especially because when certain people tell you, hey, I want to do this film, you you go for it and you don't really argue it and you find a reason to do that. And there's been times that we've taken films that that have taken that route. And if everywhere says that it's 2000, you know what? By golly, we're going to choose 2000. And it's Ginger Snaps. I, I'm not going to argue with anybody because Ginger Snaps, like I said, it's celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. And this is a teenage horror werewolf film which isn't a phrase you get to throw out a lot. And if you look at the years past that, it'll be something we're going to get into, but you don't have a lot. So it's definitely an outlier. And then while there's a ton of films that definitely have cult status, I definitely think that Ginger Snaps is definitely a cult movie that continues to grow a following year after year after year. And part of the reason for that is you look at the story and you look at the characters. Now, I think one of the things that we can easily signal out is... Okay. That was my fault. I was I was waxing quotic about Ginger Snaps, so it's totally fine. But we have a very exciting guest that we're bringing on today. I, I know I say that every time, but each successive person that I'm able to bring on here is more wonderful than the person before them. And actually to the point that when I'm recording this, I'm recording two episodes in one day, and the person who was supposed to be recording yesterday and switched to later this evening said, oh, wait, I have to follow this individual? Maybe I should push it off for another week or so. But I'm so glad to bring on to Horrorversary the managing editor of Fangoria, Meredith Borders. How's it going, Meredith? Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk about Ginger Snaps with you today. Now, I, I'm I'm going to uh, pull pull a little peek behind the the curtain because for when you have stories with certain individuals, you want to do that. I'm going to tell Meredith that no, I am not wearing the shirt from your establishment today. So I I, apo <laughs> I apologize. Um, but everybody has like, you know, people that, that they've read for years on the internet and people that they look up to and they find inspiring. And, and for years, I can definitely say that Meredith, Meredith has been one of those people for me. And I was lucky enough to meet her several years back. And it's just like, oh, that, that's a really cool individual. And then the next year I ran into her again and she called me out and I became embarrassed two seconds later because I realized that I was... <laughs> Wearing the shirt of the business that she owns. <laughs> Which was so exciting for me because I so rarely see City Acre Brewing shirts in Austin. You know, I'll see them periodically in Houston, but we were in line at South By and I was like, oh my God, a City Acre shirt here in Austin. It made me feel really good. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad for that because I was just like, oh, great. This is one of those terrible moments that you're like, oh, here's somebody who's great. At, oh, no, I'm, I've got a shirt that basically has their face on it. So <laughs> No, that's the best. I love it. <laughs> now... We, when we have everybody on here, we have a, a simple question that we start off with. 
Um, for if you have never listened to the show before and you're on here because Meredith is is on here, thank you so much, first of all, for, for listening in. But we have a very simple format that we follow, and that's that every guest who comes on gets asked the same basic five questions so we can really hit upon what it is that makes this movie special. Sometimes we'll twist them a little bit and we'll definitely deep dive into sub questions. But the first one, I want to put a little... Um, a little spin on and that's that do you remember the first time you saw ginger snaps but also what was it that made you choose ginger snaps as the movie that you wanted to cover i do remember the first time i saw ginger snaps it was in college on video uh, you spoke a little to the sort of nebulous release date um which is really really true especially of this movie because it had such a slow rollout that it almost killed the film i mean it crushed it at tiff um in 2000 which is the date that i celebrate <laughs> to make this round number but and it went to a few different festivals and did really well and i'd heard about it just being a person who read up about you know horror movies online but it was taking forever for it to become available in the U.S. for me to see. And so it was, a, I think, a couple of years after that that it finally hit my local video store. And I was so excited. Um, I loved it so much. And I knew I was going to. It was one of those things that it, it checks all of my boxes just from the description, you know. <laughs> um, and the reason I chose Ginger Snaps today is, I mean, I, I really feel that teen girl horror is – like the subgenre that speaks so strongly to me. I think it's really, really underdeveloped. There's, I mean, there's probably only maybe like, I don't know, 30 films that fall into this really specific category in my mind. And um, I always kind of designate it in a really, really specific way because everyone, when they hear that, is like, oh, all horror movies have teen girls in it. No, no, no. This is a horror movie about what it means to be a teenage girl, which is a really specific and smaller thing. And so few movies, especially back in 2000, were doing that. Carrie's one of the first. And, and then, you know, there's a, a few other things. There's there's Buffy and, you know, but it was really gender snaps that kind of started a, a new uh, trend of it. And it's become sort of an indie horror darling sense that that specific subgenre. But I think so few films do it as well as gender snaps. And one of the things that I always mention when when it comes to these films that especially this year, since we're looking at movies that are at the beginning of decades, is how they kind of set the tone for a new decade while also respecting the past. And I think that a film like Ginger Snaps definitely does that because it fits in and has so many of those hallmarks of uh, the 90s teen films, like, you know, to throw out something like, um, oh, it's just on the tip of my tongue, but like The Craft or every, I know everyone yeah. wants to go for, for Scream, but you've got several that in that period that it definitely fits alongside and kind of depending upon which film does better than them, but you've got uh, the faculty, uh, The Craft, Idle Hands, Urban Legends, Disturbing Behavior that, that are all kind of in that subset and while it does have hallmarks of those ginger snaps definitely feels of its own i think because it's in that indie realm and it kind of helps push forward films not necessarily werewolf wise but but are doing that for like the next 20 years that's so true and what's and, and i love all of those movies that you just listed like i i well teen girl horror is my favorite just like teen horror and that sort of glossy mainstream um kind of sterilized teen horror from the 90s I actually <laughs> I, I will watch any of those movies I find them such a like good kind of relaxing time Ginger Snaps is not relaxing no very stressful movie that's really really deeply about how much it sucks to be a teen girl in that particular time you know um like in 2000 when it's like you know we're getting some level of liberation, some level of understanding that it's okay for women to be sexual creatures. It's okay for women to be weirdo misfits, you know, to be um, the sort of like alternative option of what we've been told up until then we were supposed to be, but it's still not really universally allowed. It's just sort of everyone's talking about it. And then as soon as you try it, you still get the same old shit that you used to, you still get called, you know, a slut or a prude or, you know, the movie, Oh, it's just so angry. It's a very, very angry film in a way that I respect deeply, but also I don't rewatch it as often as, for instance, Scream, because it's not it's not as like funny. It's it's you know, it's got some really dark humor, but it's got a lot of emotion to it as well. Before we get into the second question and where we'll we'll start to dive into the movie, just talking about the genre itself, you did point out that 
Ginger Snaps, <clears throat> you know, it, it is darker. It is meaner in a sense. And, of course, it, it, it does fall into uh, th- that indie subset. Do you feel like lots of those films kind of have to do that? Maybe have uh, a harsher or, or sharper edge to um, either rise to the top or kind of get that attention? Because the most recent one that I can think of that kind of fits that teenage girl uh, horror indie vibe would be Tragedy Girls. And it yeah. definitely does have that that harsher and meaner edge to it. I don't know that it has to, but I think that it's allowed to in a way that mainstream movies aren't as much, you know. And so there's, you know, just a level of freedom there where they're able to sort of dive deeper into the darker side of these things that, you know, if it's the sort of like fun Miramax, like, you know, big screen, I know know what you did last summer type movie, they're just not going to get the same audience like as ginger steps clearly did not i mean it really and a lot of that was because of the release strategy but it really bombed at the box office and became popular much later on video because people aren't necessarily flocking to the theater to see like two really really pissed off sisters talk about their periods for 90 minutes (laughs) (laughs) i love that about it but um yeah i think it's the kind of thing that you have to have that sort of freedom that comes with being not a mainstream movie in order to explore Totally makes sense. Now, for the second question, uh, I've had to alter the way it was asked because some people do accidentally get into spoiler territory. And we asked this question before that because, of course, to really deep dive into these films and and talk about everything in it and and what makes it special, we do have to get into spoiler uh, territory. So after I ask this question, we're going to take a moment to pause if you haven't seen this film. Now, the nice thing about... Uh, ginger snaps is while it did have that weird release schedule that we mentioned you can actually see it a whole bunch of places right now uh shutter is the easiest way to see it you know without any commercial interruptions and of course shutter's being great uh and they've got the uh shutter shut-in that they're able to do right now you know for the month free trial for everyone but uh voodoo also has it and tubi has it so if you haven't seen ginger snaps before you literally have no excuse because there's multiple different ways to see the movie for free and legally. So uh, after I ask this question, we're going to have a pause. Uh, but the question <laughs> is, is for the uninitiated and as few words as possible, describe the synopsis for Ginger Snaps. Uh, Ginger and Bridget Fitzgerald are sisters who live in this tiny little town called Bailey Downs. It is not explicitly Canadian, but it is hugely Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the... The town is being beset by some sort of mysterious animal attacks. Um, people's pet dogs are, are have been um, destroyed, like just completely decimated by what they're calling the Beast of Bailey Downs. And these two sisters are sort of these morbid, death-obsessed weirdos. And uh, Ginger, the older of the two, gets her period and... Um, the film becomes a really incisive metaphor for puberty through the lens of lycanthropy. Perfect. All right. (laughs) Now we're going to take the pause right here. And there it was. I I literally gave you a second and enough time to press the button. Hopefully it was close to you, but now we're going to dive into it because there's, there's no way to talk about what it is that makes this film great without completely just tearing it open and and jumping in so like what's one of the first things for you that sticks out about ginger snaps honestly um so you and i both recently rewatched it to talk about it and just watching it last night i it took my breath away from the very very first moment which is the kid in the sandbox (laughs) um so it opens with this this kid who you don't meet again um he's just sort of a generic neighborhood kid playing in a sandbox and his mom kind of glances over and smiles fondly at him like oh isn't he sweet what's he got there and he's got the bloody severed paw of the family dog that he's playing with because he doesn't realize and then the mom just screams this truly devastating like harrowing scream that echoes through the neighborhood it's such a like stressful way immediately to open this movie and i think sort of instantly clues you into the fact that we're not dealing with the kind of scream i know what you did last summer subset of films Mm. and then we cut to the the sisters the fitzgerald sisters who are doing this weird project that i don't quite understand for school where they just um, pose for a lot of horrible deaths and take photos of it. And those are the opening credits. And it's just such a really brutal, interesting and like bleakly beautiful way to, to open the film. It just kind of, 
instantly blew my mind that it pulls so few punches right away. It's just like, here's a toddler playing with a, like his dead dog's paw, you know? Especially when they pull back and they show that this dog has just been absolutely eviscerated and you get that feel for the practical effects. Cause even nowadays, while the rating R for movies that, that are in theaters, when it comes to horror, they're able to show more. I can't think of many films that, that would decide to be like, yeah, we're going to show the back half of a dog and all the blood and just everything pouring out of it. Not to mention a whole bunch of shots that are supposed to be recreations of suicides. And I actually listened uh, this time and the teacher mentions that the project was for uh, life in Bailey Downs. And uh. And so their presentation is clearly saying there is no life in in Bailey Downs. If you're a teenager, just kill yourself. Yeah, it's the the gore, first of all, in this film is so legit, as as you spoke to. It's all practical effects, which is really important to the director, John Fawcett. And, um, you know, was, I think, it ate up a big uh, part of their budget because it's a pretty low budget film. But the effects are so very, very good Um, and and really hard to look at still. I mean, (laughs) later, they're just like of course the dogs which you know there's there are a lot of dead dogs in horror movies that is unfortunately a common trope but no movie does it quite as gleefully as ginger snaps it's just like there's not a dog in sight that is going to survive this film unfortunately um and they're all going to do so really really terribly but then also once it gets into sort of the human violence and the human gore it's a really brutal and then of course ginger's transformation i think um is very very gross it's very scary and um it's very you know unblinking they, they never pull away they never uh kind of have some of it happen off screen and then you know then they cut back to her to watch her go through this really monstrous painful and frankly disgusting transformation very slowly over the course of days you know which I thought was interesting that they focus so much on that and they give it like it's due. Whereas a lot of the gore, of course, because of, you know, budgetary restrictions, you don't see lots of it happening instantly, but you do see the aftermath and the aftermath is absolutely terrible. The one that kind of stuck out with me this time is the one that's virtually bloodless uh, at first, but is the the head hitting the countertop. Yeah, I I found that scene really hard to watch again this time too, because it's, it's sort of this um, graceless accident. Unlike the rest of, of the violence that comes later, which is from ginger, you know, slowly transforming into this monster and, and murdering people. This was just more like, just like a sad, you know, circumstance that just happens so suddenly and so brutally <laughs> that it's, <laughs> Really, yeah, it's very, um, and then what happens to like to the body afterwards, you know, where they're trying to like hide the body and then the, you know, they kind of shove it into a freezer and then they, they're like trying to, it gets stuck in there. And so they're using the, uh, screwdriver to like chip the ice and they accidentally knock a couple of fingers off. I mean, it's also like disrespectful to the body (laughs) in a way that is like very, very brutal. Now, one of the exciting anecdotes that I can, say about this film is here in kansas city i'm the the host and co-programmer for uh terror tuesday at alamo draft house and within the first six months that we were doing it uh we wanted to show ginger snaps just because it was on my list and the creative manager's list that of something to do and we had it set for this day and there ended up being a corporate events like that they knew a couple months in advance was going to be before it so we had to move it to 11 p.m and we didn't know how many people were going to come and like ticket sales were very slow on it. And about maybe five days before uh, it was going to be that Tuesday, it ended up completely selling out. And for any of the shows, I always ask, you know, who's here to see it for the first time. And about 90% of the audience put up their hands. And like I said, this was about two years ago. So it was an 18 year old film at that time that people were raising their hands that they were coming out on a Tuesday. And I think it was like March at 11 PM to see. And it was, it was astounding. So what is it that you think that's helped it stay relevant for 20 years and that people keep on finding it and going out of their way to take a chance on this little Canadian horror film? Um, I I mean, I definitely think it's the metaphor of sort of, becoming a, a woman from from being a child that that time not just puberty but also like the emotional changes and the societal change, changes that you're forced to go through during that time through this you know 
this frame of, of becoming a werewolf. It's so smart and it's so thoughtful. And, you know, a lot of werewolf movies, the transformation does happen immediately. And what's, you know, the reason obviously Ginger Snaps does it is because it's supposed to mimic puberty and it's supposed to mimic getting your period, which is a, you know, several day kind of rolling uh, <laughs> show of horrors that just like slowly gets worse and worse and worse. And I think that, you know, I, I also programmed up for the Alamo Draft House once a few years ago with um, Robert Sacedo here in Houston uh, for the Dismember the Alamo Horror Marathon, which is a um, surprise marathon. You don't, you know, we don't announce the programming beforehand. And a, and a lot of the people in the audience ha- hadn't seen it yet either. And it was so funny because we watched it right after Castle Freak, which is um, another movie that we did. And I don't know if you've seen Castle Freak, but there's this really, really terrible scene where Giorgio the Freak like bites off the nipple of this sex worker that he's like, you know, it's horrible. <laughs> and no one in the audience like flinched. And I called them all out about, about it after gender snaps, because anytime anyone talked about a period in gender snap, this audience of mostly men was like cringing the entire time. And I'm like, this is what's bothering you. <laughs> like you can't handle this, but you can handle like a woman's nipple getting bitten off. You know, it's really, you know, frightening for guys in a way that, it isn't for women. Like I think women who watch ginger snaps are like, yeah, that's basically what it's like. And guys are like, that's what it's like. (laughs) I think that is both really, really funny and also incredibly thoughtful and educational because you know, the, there's stuff that, I mean, like, first of all, it really straightforward confronts having a period because ginger gets her period for the first time. And it's like, she has cramps. She's just like bleeding on the floor, but then also it's through this, you know, body horror, like Cronenbergian thing where all of a sudden she's got fur sprouting up from it starting tail, you know, all these other things that would really compound what's already kind of a sucky problem, make it a thousand times suckier. And the movie just never flinches away from it. It's really, really, really upfront with all of that in a way that I think is so smart and kind of important. You know, I mean, I think it's, pretty early on, um, you know, for talking about teenage sexuality and teenage puberty for women in such a, a forthright way. And I think a lot of that is because of Karen Walton, the screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably the smartest choice that Fawcett, the filmmaker had was he didn't, you know, he knew he had this story he wanted to tell about a teen girl whose like period kind of coincided with her becoming a werewolf. But he also understood he was not like the only person who should be telling that story. So he brought on Karen Walton. And I think a lot of the like gnarlier body horror stuff actually came from her. And I, I love that. I really appreciate it. And I, I think it's the frankness that, that it deals with that makes it so great because a, a lot of this, they could easily uh, turn into jokes and at times they do but i think that there's a straightforwardness and and frankness to it that makes it accessible uh to everybody and yeah you're gonna have people like you said uh squirm because of it but i think if they didn't take uh that approach and they just made it all comical it would probably lose some of the power that it has that's so true i mean it's you know there are definitely some like very funny lines that are delivered in a very funny way but it's not a comedy i mean it's just it's darkly comedic at parts but it's a straight-up horror movie which so few horror movie horror comedies um, rely on horror more than comedy like usually if it's got both elements it's, it's a little bit heavier on the comedy uh this one is much heavier on the horror and i think that works for it now i'm, I'm going to swap uh um the order in which i do a question because i think it really ties into this perfectly and it's usually Uh, Can you think of um, many other modern or contemporary films that are reminiscent of Ginger Snaps? And I think to pare this one down a little bit, because it's what makes it special, that it has that that female um, focus, both from just the teen aspect or going through life um, as as a a young female. Um, Yeah, there are a couple that definitely come to mind. I actually just realized program Ginger Snaps twice for the Alamo because there was another time I programmed it as a double double feature with Raw because I think Mm -hmm. that Raw and Ginger Snaps, they have so much in common, not just from the, you know, teen girl facing, you know, sort of biological changes that are confronted in a horrific way, but also just the relationship between the sisters. Um, I really love, you know, I, I think sister relationships can be so complicated. They can be really, really 
beautiful, special, wonderful things, but they're also, especially at that age, there's a lot of um, rivalry there. There's a lot of jealousy there. Um, and, you know, you can, they're either so, so close that it's a little bit codependent, as in the case of the Fitzgerald sisters, or there's a distance there and one feels like um, she's being left behind, which is more the case in Raw. Um, and then Jennifer's Body is a, another movie that, um, like, those are the three that I kind of feel like are this, like, perfect triumvirate of, you know, what it's like to be a teenage girl told in a really smart and gross and horrific way. <laughs> Those are, those are fantastic. Like, cause I think it's, it's definitely a genre that people, people hone in on like maybe one to two and they don't really sometimes give them a chance. I know that Jennifer's body is another one that, um, that we showed here at, uh, Terror Tuesday that lots of people hadn't seen. And I think it was around the time that people were giving it a chance. And, uh, because of course, when it came out, we know how it was received, but I think it's found a new audience as time has gone by. And raw, I completely agree with that. That's one of the first ones that stuck uh, in mind. Of course, going in the complete tonal opposite direction with uh, leaning more towards the comedy, um, I had um, Teeth came to mind. Oh yeah, Teeth, absolutely. You know, Teeth is one that for some reason um, I don't I don't think about as often. But whenever it's brought up, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a great movie. So I definitely need to rewatch that because I really, really enjoyed it the first time. And it's very, very intelligent. But it's just one that for whatever reason hasn't stayed with me the way these these other films have. And then the other one, when you were talking about the sisters aspect that came to mind, it's, of course, probably it's not really a trashy film, but it kind of has trashier elements in it was uh, uh, Lucky McKee's. Uh, kindred spirits you know i never saw kindred spirits it's i mean it's not flat out um horror as people like as the movies that we described are uh but it definitely has uh that, that sisterhood bond because you've got thor birch's character um who's a mom and has a, a teenage girl um that you know th- that she had when she was young and she had a, a sister who ran off years ago and then she comes back and so you've got the relationship between, you know, the mom and her sister, and then the sister also basically having this weird um, sisterhood relationship with her niece, basically. So it, it definitely gets into that while this character is trying to find her independence. and She's having to deal with, you know, somebody else's views. So you definitely have that combative uh, sister relationship there, even though it's not th- the same exactly as this or raw. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, it's a a storytelling device that I really respond to even when it's not in horror, like, like melancholia or, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's just anytime that there's a sort of really, really complicated, beautiful, loving, but also stressful <laughs> relationship <laughs> in films. I think that, you know, I, I just, I, I feel like it's, you know, a really rich thematic device that when done well, just always knocks me on my feet. And, um, you know, I, I think ginger snaps, especially, Ginger and Bridget have such a weird but recognizable relationship and that they're very, very, very close, so close that when they were kids, they told themselves they were going to die on the same day. One of them didn't want to be alive without the other. But Ginger is a little bit older and a little bit more conventionally hot. And she, of course, gets her period first. And so this is the sort of thing that you know, like Judy Bloom tells stories about where it's like girls being kind of jealous and feeling a little bit left behind when their friends get their period first, because, and then they're both pretty old to be getting their period for the first time. They're 15, which is, you know, you know, a few years after, you know, most kids get it. And it, you know, it starts out so that it feels like Bridget is the one being kind of, or uh, yeah, Bridget is the one being kind of left behind. But Emily Perkins also plays it in this really smart way where she's actually been light years ahead of Ginger emotionally the entire time. She's just sort of let Ginger shine. And now that Ginger's becoming this monster, Bridget like steps up and allows herself to be the stronger person in the relationship. I just think it's so well written and really beautifully performed by Emily Perkins and Catherine Isabel. Now, I do have two questions performance-wise that I want to get into, and it, it, it really works with the segue that you made there with one of them, is that I, I've, I've seen people, uh, you know, congratulate this movie, but then also put it down for, for what they deem issues. Um, and one of those is the, the view of empowerment, and that there's plenty of people who are saying that uh, Bridget doesn't necessarily do enough 
Uh, there's other people who are saying that it, it's an accurate portrayal of charting her path to to standing up for herself and not without really anyone, you know, directly um, trying to shield her too much and her finding out on her own, especially because the person who was doing the shielding for her isn't there anymore. So do you view it as an overly powerful film or, or do you think that it doesn't fully uh, grab the goat when it comes to that? I think it absolutely does. I think that Bridget's arc is one that I fully relate to because it's someone who has a lot of inner strength and wisdom, but is is so sort of actually confident in herself that she's fine with letting her sister kind of be the boss for so long because it seemed more important to Ginger um, than it actually was to Bridget. But then as soon as she realizes, like, this is what needs to be done, she she does what needs to be done, you know? And, and yeah, it takes her a while. But I think, I mean, I think she truly didn't believe that Ginger was capable of murder, even with what happened with the sort of bully girl that hit her head on, on the cabinet as we were talking about. That was an accident. Like, you know, I, I don't think that Bridget really believed that Ginger had fully transformed into this sort of murderous monster until she saw it happen. And as soon as she saw it happen, like you know, the stakes elevate really, really quickly and the, the pacing really picks up and it's a very short journey from her seeing Ginger actually kill someone to being responsible and taking care of, of the problem on her own. Um, I think, yeah, I think Bridget's such a cool, interesting character and I really, really like Emily Perkins' performance. She seems so mousy at the beginning and it's not that sort of transformation that you often see in teen films where she like takes off her glass. Like at the end, she's still got that sort of like mousy posture because that's just who she is. But she has proven that, you know, she's also um, a really fierce and tough and smart individual who is willing to sacrifice, you know, what matters most to her to, to keep people safe. It's more so not that she's necessarily weak, but that she just doesn't want to deal with everyone else's shit. So she just walks away from it. And so yeah. they they might view it as weak, but she's just like, I don't I just don't want to be a part of this. Oh, I think I might have lost you there. Oh, I can still hear you. Oh, OK, OK. There you are. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, I think she's just, you know, she's just a misanthrope. Like, she just kind of wants to be left alone and deal with her own shit. And I respect that, you know. Now, the the next question that we ask is 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 more fun when it comes to a film that's not one hundred percent fun. Um, and because I'm going to come back to the other question I wanted to ask in in a minute because it's it's one that's been brewing in the back of my mind but to get something more positive for a moment is there a signature scene or moment that that you really love from the film yes it is when uh, mimi rogers who plays their mom uh shows up to pick up bridget from school and you realize that she kind of actually she seems sort of like clueless and ditzy the entire movie <laughs> and you realize she's actually sort of i don't think she understands necessarily the werewolf aspect but she knows that her daughters are in trouble she knows that ginger is somehow responsible for this other girl's death and she's like pack up your stuff we're going out of town uh we'll leave your dad behind i'll burn down the house <laughs> <laughs> like, what? you know the entire movie she seems so out of touch uh in a way that's really funny like she's i think responsible for a lot of the comedy in the film Mimi rogers is so funny in it and i love like her scrunchies and her headbands and stuff like she's got such a specific 2000s mom look you know um, but then it's funny because the, the marathon that, um, we watched this and, um, you know, we also watched castle freak and we also, I'm trying to remember what else. Oh, we watched, uh, the Babadook and we realized that this was, we inadvertently had, had programmed all of these movies that we now call mom horror <laughs> that have <laughs> themes with moms that are like really, really protective of their daughters or, or their sons in the case of the Babadook. Um, and are sort of fighting against this horror that they don't quite understand. They're just trying to be really good parents. Uh, and I, I don't know. I really love that. And I, th I think that it's such a like surprising and sort of nice moment in a movie that doesn't have a lot of nice moments. It's, it's a lot kinder to Mimi Rogers character than, um, than you think it's going to be. It sort of feels like the movie's making fun of her the entire time. And at the, at the end you realize, no, uh, much like Bridget, like there, you know, sort of unseen depths there that I really respond to. I, uh, I I loved uh, going back and seeing this movie after not seeing it for a few years and just having that wave kind of wash over me of, of, of the plentiful gore in there and that it doesn't really, you know, skirt back that even though it was a lower budget film, it's like, no, we want there to be a lot of gore in the film. So we want you to, 
to show it, but some of the quieter moments, like you mentioned when Mimi Rogers is like, I'm going to let the house fill up with gas and then I'm going to light a match <laughs> and we'll, we'll just go and, and, uh, um, oh God, uh, Bridget, you know, goes, well, well what about dad? And, and she goes, he'll just end up blaming me. So, <laughs> and just having that be great. But then the other moment that, that, uh, stayed with me, um, was with, uh, oh God, what's his, uh, Jason, when Jason's coming after Bridget and Bridget has that strong moment where she ends up stabbing in the, in the neck and the effects of the monkhood comes over him. And he's just like, I'm, uh, I gotta go. And like, she, she knows that she could say something to him, but she just kind of stands there and is like, oh, okay. I guess, I guess it is a cure. But <laughs> what was funny was watching him and is, is having it since you, you do have the female focus for the majority of it. And Jason, of course, you know, is your typical stupid character. But what I realized this time while watching it and then saw on IMDb that confirmed it is that he goes on to play Chad in uh, Tucker and Dale versus evil. <laughs> I know. I also, while watching it last night, was like, that guy looks so familiar because I just recently watched Tucker and Dale because it had an anniversary um, last year. And so I watched it um, at Telluride Horror Show. And yeah, it's so funny because he plays like a very similar character in, in both films. And I love, oh, I love Tucker and Dale. I think it was such a good movie. So yeah, this guy sort of plays the like, I don't know, the thoughtless jock and in, in <laughs> Two really, really good sort of underestimated horror movies from around that time. So I, res- I respect that journey for him. <laughs> and, and then for you horror hounds out there who enjoy trivia, of course, the guy who plays Jason and the guy who plays Sam both end up co-starring in Final Destination 3. But the reason why I wanted to mention Sam is Sam's somebody who, after uh, we had the showing here in Kansas City, lots of people were talking about. And they were talking about how great the movie was. And then there were arguments that were actually bursting out on how people felt about Sam as a character. So I was curious, what's your stance on Sam? Um, I I like Sam in that. So um, Sam is the drug dealer that um, hits the original. And so he sort of gets wrapped up in the girl's story for that reason. And he and Bridget work together to help, um, help Ginger with her transformation. I like him because he's not like a show stealer. Uh, he's very much a supporting character for Bridget. Their relationship is not really uh, romantic. Uh, she doesn't actually have any sort of romantic interest in him. He might in her, but um, the film doesn't waste a lot of time on that, which I appreciate. Um, I like it because in sort of like um, Jason, he's, both of these characters are so not really that important <laughs> to the girl's journey. You know, their story is so strong and their performances are so strong and the perspective is so strong that it's sort of even bolstered in comparison to these kind of slightly ineffectual dudes that are circling them. You know, Sam's a nice guy and he wants to help. Um, and he does like figure out how to turn the muck's hood into, into a cure, which is obviously very helpful. Uh, but you also sort of get the sense that Bridget doesn't really need him except for as a person other than Ginger to talk to. Like for so long, Ginger is the only person in her life that she had any connection with, had any conversations with. And now that Ginger is the problem, she just needs like someone like a wall to bounce ideas off of. And that's sort of what Sam feels like to me, you know? Yeah, and it, it's interesting because, of course, you know, we get the presentation at the beginning that uh, the the annoying bully girl, you know, has has hooked up with him. And then uh, we find out, uh, according to uh, the bully girl, who I feel – I'm sorry, everyone, for forgetting her name. It's okay. I'm trying not to use my phone or anything. Um, but the, the fact that she mentions, you know, that he's somebody who, who prefers to deflower girls. Now, we don't see anything with that, you know, between Bridget – and everything and we there is a sense that maybe if he survives there would be a just a genuine friendship there but yeah uh, you can tell that he does care for her as a as a person as opposed to an object yeah and um i just looked it up the bully girl's name is trina (laughs) um i think you know i find that scene with trina really you know i have a lot of sympathy for her there she's seen you know she says that he's like you know a deflower that's his you know that's his only aim. And that's a really sort of heartbreaking way for her to feel, but it could also be true for her and not true for this other relationship. And you really don't get the sense, as you said, at all with Bridget in a way that would make me uncomfortable. And in fact, when Ginger's trying to come on to him later, he's, he's, you know, rejecting her advances. So yeah, I don't, I mean, he doesn't feel like a creep to me and Ginger also, you know, I I have a question for you. So Ginger, 
also thinks that the janitor like wants to hook up with Bridget and I don't at all pick up on that. So I sort of feel like Sam is the sort of scapegoat where Ginger thinks everyone wants to have sex with her sister because she's so protective of her. But that's not necessarily what's happening. It's just some like humans respecting her sister as a human and she has trouble believing that. What do you think about that? Yeah, I know. I I agree. I mean, I I think it's um, it's double fold. It's what you mentioned where, you know, she is the protective uh, older sister. So she she kind of views it as her job to protect everyone from Bridget. So even if, you know, there's as much as a, uh, a rumor that she's heard about somebody or a glance that somebody gives her, she's automatically going to take in it. And because she's, you know, got the lycanthropy that she's dealing with, as well as the hormones that it's coming out as, you know, 10 times the rage that it should probably be. But at the same time, with the way that we see the development of uh, Ginger, that, you know, she does have the burgeoning sexuality and she is having this moment that people are looking at her as this object of desire, as opposed to being, you know, as they're called throughout the film freaks, that she's getting this attention. And maybe it could also be um, projected jealousy in a way that if somebody is giving this look that it's like, oh, that looks supposed to be directed to me. And so because everything's getting confused in her mind, you know, that that could be those two sides butting out that's coming out as this rage and anger. Totally. It's like protectiveness all mixed together with rivalry and it's super toxic and really compelling. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all good. It's all good. Oh, also, you spoke about Sam and Jason both being in Final Destination 3. Um, Something I realized last night is that both Catherine Isabel and Emily Perkins are in Supernatural. So I was excited about that. I mean, I I think it's probably just like a Canadian horror actor rite of passage to be on Supernatural. (laughs) since It's been on for like whatever it is, 16 seasons or something. Um, but I don't know. I thought that was kind of a, it, it just made me happy to see that because I loved Catherine Isabel's arc early, early on. And then Emily Perkins has been on it really recently. So. Oh, nice. Hmm. So, yeah. I've been watching it like the last two, three years. I feel bad. I feel bad because my wife keeps on telling me, no, we have to, we have to get through. And recently I was like, I, I know I also haven't watched the past few seasons, but I, <laughs> I want to catch up before it ends, you know? Well, I mean, that's gonna be pushed off a little bit now. So we got time. All right, so um, the next question that I have is a very, very simple one, and that's because it's the way that we like to wrap it up. Now, with as much verve and excitement as you've uh, talked about the film, I think we know where it's going to be. But the final question we like to ask is, having rewatched the film again, do you think that it's still worthy of the reverence that people toss upon it, or do you think that maybe that shine is slowly fading away? Uh, I think it's absolutely worthy and maybe even more so than ever, because, you know, in retrospect, the stuff that it did in terms of, you know, this frank discussion of teenage girl sexuality and, um, you know, biology really started what I think is a wave that continues today. Like, I think it was one of the first films to really, really do that. Um, Obviously, again, you know, uh, Carrie did, but that was, you know, Brian De Palma interpreting Stephen King and he's like two old dudes talking about a teenage girl. I love Carrie. I think it's amazing, but there's something about this film that feels like really, really personal and intimate to someone who was once a teenage girl. And I think that it's so frank and so thoughtful and so specific in a way that only, you know, only someone who used to be a teenage girl who, and dealt with all of this shit could actually do. And um, I think it's responsible for a lot of tremendous films that have, that have come since. And it's interesting because it stands out. It seems like in general, there's something about werewolf films that they're either really, really good or everyone sees a bad werewolf film and then goes, Oh, when was the last good werewolf film that you can think of? Cause after this, of course, the, the there's been a lot of smaller ones, but the, the major ones that everybody knows, of course, is that you have cursed that comes out in 2004. Um, then you've got, of course, the twilight series that have technically werewolves that aren't werewolves. And then you've got, uh, the blood and chocolate film that jumps in on the success of the twilight films. And then like the teen wolf TV show, And so they're all definitely, you know, teenage oriented, but you don't have a ton of them. I mean, you've got like Dog Soldiers, I want to say, was either a little bit before or directly after this. And then you've got like late phases that's in there. And then you've got Wolf Cop. (laughs) Which I love. I love Wolf Cop. It's also Canadian. Yeah. Maybe Canadians just. uh, I don't know if you've seen When Animals Dream, which is a very. What Animals Uh, Dream? Yeah, maybe Canadians are like super into. 
It's so good. Um, and it's, you know, this teeny, teeny, tiny Scandinavian film, but, um, that's one that I always think of as being very heavily inspired by Ginger Snaps. And of course, so we have the Ginger Snaps sequels, which I could do a whole other podcast about because I love them. <laughs> we've, we've got a couple years. We've got a couple years. We can get to those. No, no worries about that. Um, and the other one that kind of springs to mind, I guess it's in, in a different sort, but it is, it does have a relationship aspect, even though it's different, is uh, Good Manners. I don't think I ever saw Good Manners. Good, good, good Manners is a, is a weird one. It's a little bit longer, but it was good. Uh, I saw it at Fantastic Fest a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think actually Robert, who, um, you know, he's the creative manager at the Alamo here in Houston, and, and he loves werewolf movies uh, even more than I do. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is one that he keeps telling me to watch, and I, I feel embarrassed that I haven't yet gotten to it. So maybe I'll do that later today. <laughs> there, there you go. I mean, we've got time. Now, the question that I've been asking everybody is kind of a separate one, is because we, we're we recording this, just to let everybody know, on the towards the end of April, on the 22nd. And so we're getting to the point where we're not sure when lockdowns are going to be lifted from you know certain cities and states. We're getting to the point where certain places want to open, certain places are going to be extended. We know that there's a good chance that movie theaters aren't really going to be opening up until sometime in July, because that's... The, the point where movies are going to start coming out. Uh, so things could change at any point when this episode does come out. But the question that I'm asking everybody is, are there three films that you can think of, doesn't have to be new, that you think people should definitely take a chance to rent and watch while they've got this time to watch movies at home? Hmm. Gosh. That's a great question that I feel like. Okay. Well, this is so random and it's not a horror movie and I hope that's okay. That's fine. But I just rewatched the fugitive for like the millionth time a couple of nights ago. And, uh, right now at the end of April, there's a, a sort of Twitter, uh, meme that's going around where everyone's saying what are five perfect movies and I haven't participated, but having just rewatched the fugitive, I'm like, that is a perfect movie. <laughs> it is so good. And it's so exciting. I just love it so much. So uh, watch, watch the fugitive. If you can, there's not a wasted second in that entire movie. Um, I just, I think it's flawless. Uh, watch, you know, ginger snaps. Let's go ahead and put that on the list. Um, even if you have already seen it, you know what, actually I'm going to change my answer and make all three movies, all three ginger snaps, because I feel like a lot of people have seen the first one, but not as many people have seen unleashed and ginger snaps back. And they were so, so interesting. And I actually once wrote a really long editorial just about two and three, because I think they're, you know, I really wish that they got a little bit more attention than they did. Um, and I feel the same way about the poltergeist sequels. They're all weird and kind of messy and obviously not as good as the original, but I think they're great you know so yeah watch those uh less popular sequels of both gender snaps and poltergeist while you're on lockdown and i'm going to give you a chance um to to plug that piece that you just mentioned because you said you wrote an, wrote an editorial people can read nowadays you've got time to take five minutes and read something before seeing the movie so where where did you write that editorial um, I wrote that on Birth Movies Death back when I um, worked there. So I think if you probably just Googled like Birth Movies Death Ginger Snap sequels, it would definitely come up. So. <laughs> Easy, easily enough. I mean, I, that's that's a really good point is taking a chance for some of these series that you you may not have watched everything and, and sit down and see them. Because I think there's plenty of times that people want to, you know, decry and say that, oh, you know, sequels in general are are bad. But for especially when it comes to like horror and science fiction. The sequels might not always be great, but they're interesting, and sometimes they go really weird places. You pointed out Poltergeist, and I'm a big fan of Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, just because of how weird and strange it gets. Totally. That's exactly the case of both Poltergeist and Ginger Snaps, and just what I was thinking of. While they're not as like classically terrific as Poltergeist and Ginger Snaps, they are just, they go to really, really strange, surprising, creepy, unusual places. Um, I think they're, they're all really daring in a way that um, I respect a lot. That weird is good. Weird is good. <laughs> weird's very good. Now let everybody know where they can easily find you on social media. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at X by Marla. I'm also on Instagram if you are interested in food. <laughs> All of my food uh, stuff is on Instagram. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm mostly talking about movies on Twitter as X by Marla. Now, at the same time, because we have places that are closed down currently and you're a business owner and I know that 
that you as well as many other small business owners have have taken away for people to be able to still uh, contribute and patronize you guys through this period. So if you want to take this moment just to let everybody know where they can find that stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Um, my husband and I own a brew pub in Houston called City Acre Brewing. And if you live in Houston, you can order food or beer to go from cityacrebrewing.com. If you don't and you just want to support us and be really sweet, you can um, buy a gift card or T-shirts um, through cityacrebrewing.com. Go for it. It's it's a great place. A couple of years ago when I went to my first uh, Fantastic Fest, uh, my wife and I were technically on a little faux um, honeymoon because it was Fantastic Fest was a week after we got married. And so we wanted to take a couple extra days and uh, we went down uh, to Houston at the same time. And she unfortunately got sick for a full day, so we couldn't do it everything. But the day that we were flying out, uh, I was like, we have to go to this location and check it out. And so we went to City Acre and spent way too much money on food and drinks and then things to bring back. And we still have several of the of the uh, cozies for for cups and stuff like that. because Yeah, I love the little uh, pint glass cozies that our friend Jill makes. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, it, yeah. it really means a lot to me. And, and we're very, very lucky that we're still able to to stay open right now um, through all of this, just doing, you know, to-go stuff. And it's keeping us afloat. So we're really grateful. Definitely check them out. You can find me on Twitter at Yo Adrian Taurus. And then you can find the show at Horrorversary. It's very simple, very easy. Uh, you know, not, not, you know, doesn't get too confusing. Uh, we've been making sure to put out episodes every single week while all this is going on. We're banking a lot, like I said, and literally about an hour from now, I've got another episode that I'm recording. We actually put out one. If you guys get a chance and are looking for an episode to definitely click on, uh, I would see one that just got put out probably about three weeks ago. That was a lost episode because <clears throat> the second episode that I ever recorded, the audio completely died. And it sounded like it was unlistenable to you had one voice in one ear, one in the other. It would throw off your equilibrium. Um, I was able to take an extended period of time and patch everything together. So we have an episode that was supposed to come out in 2018 that just dropped a couple weeks ago, uh, focusing on magic with Anthony Hopkins. And we've got Scott Drebbit of uh, Daily Dead on that episode. So I definitely want to point that one out to people because if they see... Oh, a film that's not directly on there. No, no, no. It makes sense. It makes sense. But Meredith, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Thank you, Adrian, so much. I've had such a good time. Yeah, I could talk about Ginger Snaps all day. I, I will keep that in mind for a couple of years from now. <laughs> but once again, everybody, until next time, and especially with the state of the world as it is right now, stay safe, stay healthy, and be nice to each other.